Section 123 of Italy, France, Spain and Portugal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hypatia. The World Story, Volume 5. Italy, France, Spain and Portugal. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 123. The Betrothal of Princess Philippa. 1385, by Sir John Froissart. Portugal was still an unimportant little country, often engaged in warfare with the more powerful land of Spain. Each country sought for allies. Castile found them in the French, Portugal in the English. In 1385, the great battle of Aljubarrota was fought, and the Portuguese were the winners. The English archers had been of great service to them in this battle, and now the barons and knights and magistrates of the principal towns in Portugal met together in Lisbon to plan how to make a closer alliance with England. The way was open. The Duke of Lancaster, uncle to Richard II, King of England, had married a daughter of the late King of Castile. Their daughter Constance had, then, a claim to the Castilian throne. Therefore the wily Portuguese wrote some letters to the Duke, saying that now was the time to stand for the rights of his daughter, and that if he wished to enter Castile, he might pass through Portugal. In England at that date, French was the court language, and Latin the literary language. Therefore the letters were written in both tongues, and a messenger was chosen who could speak French as easily as Portuguese, one Lawrence von Gass. The Duke was well pleased with the suggestion, and set out with his wife and children and men-at-arms for Portugal. The Editor the King of Portugal was well pleased at the arrival of the English knights, and commanded that they should be comfortably lodged. When they were ready, Don Martin da Cunha and Don Fernando Martin de Merlo, who were acquainted with the King's habits, introduced them to him. He received them very graciously, and after some conversation, which they knew well how to keep up, they presented the falcons and greyhounds. The King cheerfully accepted them, as he was fond of the chase. They returned the king thanks on the part of the Duke and Duchess of Lancaster for the handsome mules he had given them. The king replied, these were trifles, merely tokens of affection, such as lords desirous of maintaining love and friendship ought to make to each other. But he should soon offer more splendid presents. Wine and spices were now brought, of which the English knights having partaken, they took leave of the king and returned to their lodgings, where they supped. On the morrow they were seated at the king's table, Sir John Dumbretticourt and Sir John Sounder were at another table with the great barons of the kingdom, among whom was Lawrence von Gass, squire of honour to the king, who was well known to these knights, having been acquainted with them in England, on which account he made them the best cheer in his power, and this he knew well how to do. The dinner the king of Portugal gave to these knights was very handsome and well served. When over, they adjourned to the council chamber, and the knights, addressing themselves to the king, the Count d'Acunia, and the Count de Novaire, spoke as follows. Sire, with all the compliments the Duke of Lancaster has charged us to pay you, he ordered us to say that he is very desirous of having a personal interview with you. The king replied he was equally anxious for it, and added, I beg of you to hasten everything as much as possible, that we may have a conference together. That will be very proper, said the barons of Portugal, for until you meet you will never understand each other. 
you may then confer on the most effectual means of carrying on the war against the king of Castile. That is true, answered the knights. Be speedy about it then, said the king, for if the duke wishes to see me, I wish also to see him. They then entered on other conversation, for the council was to determine when and where this meeting should take place, and inform the English knights of it. This was done. It was agreed the King of Portugal should go to Oporto, and the Duke of Lancaster advance along the borders of Galicia, and somewhere between them and Oporto the meeting was to be held. When the English knights had remained three days at Coimbra, they departed and followed the same road back to St. Jago, where they related to the Duke and Duchess all that had passed. They were with reason well satisfied with it, for their affairs seemed now likely to be attended to. When the day of meeting approached, the Duke of Lancaster left his army under the command of his marshal at St. Jago, and attended by three hundred spears and six hundred archers, and Sir John Holland, who had married his eldest daughter, with many knights, rode toward the frontiers of Portugal. The King of Portugal, hearing that the Duke was set out from St. Jago, left Oporto with six hundred spears, and went to a town called in that country Monsal, the last town of Portugal on that side. The duke came to a town on the frontiers called Melgasau. Between Monsau and Lemgasau runs a small river through meadows and fields, over which is a bridge called Pont de More. On a Thursday morning, the King of Portugal and the Duke of Lancaster had their first interview at this bridge, attended by their escorts, when they made acquaintance with each other. On the King of Portugal's side had been built a bower, covered with leaves, in which the duke was entertained at dinner by the king. It was a handsome one, and the Bishop of Coimbra, the Bishop of Oporto, as also the Archbishop of Braganza, were seated at the king's table with the duke, and a little below him were Sir John Holland and Sir Henry Beaumont. There were many minstrels, and this entertainment lasted until night. The King of Portugal was that day clothed in white lined with crimson, with a red cross of St. George, being the dress of the Order of Avis, of which he was Grand Master. When the people had elected him their king, he declared he would always wear that dress in honour of God and St. George, and his attendants were all dressed in white and crimson. When it became late, they took leave of each other, with the engagement of meeting again on the morrow. The king went to Monsau, and the duke to Melgasau, which places were only separated by the river and meadows. On the Friday, after hearing the mass, they mounted their horses and rode over the Pont de More to the spot where they had met the preceding day. The house which had been erected for this occasion was the fairest and greatest that had ever been seen there. The king and duke had each their apartments hung with cloth and covered with carpets, as convenient as if the king had been at Lisbon or the duke in London. Before dinner they had a conference on the state of their affairs, how they should carry on the war, and when they should commence it. They resolved to order their marshals to continue their attacks during the winter, which the king was to pass in Portugal, and the duke at St. Jago, and it was settled that, early in March, they would unite their forces, and march to combat the king of Castile, wherever he might be, and whomever he might have with him, for the English and Portuguese, when united, would be full thirty thousand men. When this had been determined, the king's council introduced the subject of marriage with their king, for the country was very desirous he would marry, as it was now time, and by it they would be much strengthened, and they thought he could not make a better choice for himself, nor one more agreeable to them, than by intermarrying with the house of Lancaster. 
the duke who saw the attachment the king and the portuguese had for him and that he had need of their assistance as he was come from england to portugal to regain his kingdom of castile replied with a smile addressing the king sir king i have at st jago two girls and i will give you the choice to take which of them shall please you best send thither your counsel and i will return her with them many thanks said the king you offer me more than i ask i will leave my cousin catherine of castile but i demand your daughter philippa in marriage whom i will espouse and make my queen at these words the conference broke up as it was dinner-time they were seated as on the preceding day and most sumptuously and plentifully served according to the custom of that country after dinner the king and duke returned to their lodgings on the saturday after mass they again mounted their horses and returned to pont de more in grand array the duke this day entertained at dinner the king and his attendants his apartments were decorated with the richest tapestry with his arms emblazoned on it and as splendidly ornamented as if he had been at hartford leicester or at any of his mansions in england which very much astonished the portuguese three bishops and one archbishop were seated at the upper table the bishops of lisbon of oporto of coimbra and the archbishop of braganza the king of portugal was placed at the middle and the duke somewhat below him a little lower than the duke the count d'acunha and the count de Novaire. at the head of the second table was the deputy grand master of avis then the grand master of st james in portugal and the grand master of st john diego lopez pacheco joao fernandez pacheco his son lopo vasquez d'acunha vasco martin d'acunha lopo diaz de savedo vasco martin de merlo gonsalves de merlo all great barons the abbot of aljubarrota the abbot of st mary in estremadura sir alvarez pereira marshal of portugal joao rodriguez pereira joao gomez de silva joao rodriguez de sa and many other portuguese knights were there seated for not one englishman was at the table that day but served their guests there were numbers of minstrels who played their parts well and the duke gave them and the heralds one hundred nobles each footnote about one hundred and sixty five dollars end of footnote when this festival was ended they took a most friendly leave of each other until they should meet again the king returned to oporto and the duke to melgasao from whence he journeyed towards st jago the count de Novaire escorted him with one hundred portuguese lances until he was out of all danger when he took leave and returned to portugal the duchess was very impatient for the duke's return to hear how the conferences had passed of course you may suppose she received him with joy she asked what he thought of the king of portugal on my faith replied the duke he is an agreeable man and has the appearance of being a valiant one and i think he will reign powerfully for he is much beloved by his subjects who say that they have not been so fortunate in a king for these hundred years he is but twenty-six years old and like the portuguese strong and well formed in his limbs and body to go through much labour and pain well and what was done in regard to the marriage said the duchess i have given him one of my daughters which asked the duchess i have offered him the choice of catherine or philippa for which he thanked me much and has fixed on philippa he is in the right said the duchess for my daughter catherine is too young for him End of section 123. This recording is in the public domain.